very unfortunately, um, I somehow stumbled into victimization and poly victimization that I become a victim of gender-based violence. And so I have become very passionate today being an advocate and being a voice for the voiceless. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. Here's founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benio, and today we have with us a very interesting guest with the mission at hand, a noble one at that, Miss Eileen Dong. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Dennis, for having me on the show. It's my honor to be here. Uh, Eileen, tell us about you. Well, I am from Shanghai, China. And uh, I always tell people, have you watched uh, Mission Impossible 3? That's uh, the building Tom Cruise jumped from like one high rise to another. That's my hometown. And I live, uh, I used to live there about 15 miles from there. So that's me. Uh, I was born and raised there, but now I'm a Texan. So I speak y'all. <laughs> that's how I talk. <laughs> Hi, y'all. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really uh, take the try to you know understand the culture from both backgrounds uh having been born and raised in Shanghai China and lived here for a very long time don't want to give away my age but a long time so i understand both of the culture now very unfortunately um i somehow stumbled into victimization and poly victimization that i become a victim of gender based violence and so I have become very passionate today being an advocate and being a voice for the voiceless. And I have started the nonprofit organization Hope Picks Global. It is an organization that helps victims and survivors of human trafficking, domestic violence, and sexual assault. And I also am on various boards, including the United Nations Board, Southwest Louisiana Human Trafficking Task Force, Nevada Policy Council on Trafficking, amongst uh, many other uh, different organizations. But I always tell people that um, how, where my journey all started. I um, was on the rise. I worked in all kinds of funny things like um, Dennis, I had a conversation beforehand. I have traveled around the world I have worked in uh, different industries. I'm a, a petroleum engineer, so I have uh, worked in the oil and gas industry. I've worked in Formula One Grand Prix uh, for Red Bull Racing and uh, traveled around the world. Um, and what I never know is someone who is educated, someone come from my background who is always a good girl, just like my friends call me, sometimes naive or stupid slash stupid, uh, that will run into, you know, victimization. So I want to raise the awareness that it can happen to anyone, regardless of your race, gender, nationality, educational or economic background. And when I was coming out and going through the healing, I did a lot of volunteer work. And amongst that, the judge of the 280s court came to me and she said, Eileen, your ethnicity is not underrepresented, but it's not represented at all. And here I am. She was very fundamental to how I am today and what I am doing today. So today I'm bridging the gaps to educate our community the reason why it's 
not represented is because of our culture. Nobody wants to speak out because of the honor and shame system. And because of this, there are no numbers in the law enforcement or the databases that you're looking for for the crimes on gender-based violence. Particularly, I was talking to different agencies asking me for help on how to identify the victims. So I'm doing the train the trainers program in order to teach them with victim relationships and to have a good understanding about the root cause of why these victims do not come out and how do they really effectively identify them in order to do the investigation and prosecution. So that's a long version of my intro. It's a good intro though, and it's a good cause. So how did you end up in a in a scenario like this being an advocate for such a cause? Obviously, you've alluded to the fact that you have been a victim yourself. Can you tell us about that? Yes, it was not fun. I, you know, I'm just recently I was at a state capitol in Austin, Texas, at the Capitol building. That was probably one of the first times I shared my homelessness uh during the period of time. Because when it comes to you know escaping um, the perpetrator's hands, it takes a victim seven times to escape a domestic violence relationship or human trafficking relationship. And people nowadays, like including myself, say, why it takes seven times? Because it's very obvious that, you know, um, if it's your life or it's it's danger, you know what to choose from. But unfortunately, there is the power and the control and the emotional controlling that abuse that they kind of neglect. And that is me. So it took me a long time to get out of the relationship and get out of the situation. And I had become homeless and had to choose because I mentioned I have my family all the way 8,000 miles away from Shanghai, China. It's not like I have a support system. I can just go crash at my brother's uh, couch or anywhere. So I have to choose, do I go homeless or do I go lose my life? So I choose my life and therefore I came out. And I went through a lot of difficulties. And if it wasn't for organizations like ours now, like nonprofit organizations that were there for me, I honestly don't know where I would be. I feel like, you know, I often have that imagination and fear that there was a period of time I thought I was gonna be murdered and um, cut into pieces and be fed to the alligator. And I want to be an advocate. I want to be a consultant for the law enforcement now because I need to be the bridge to show them that I have been there and show them the lived experience, what victims really think. But on the other hand, be the voice for the victims because I mentioned about the cultural barriers to tell them that, look, if I look like you and I have a family 8,000 miles away from here and I was homeless and today I am the founder and executive director of this organization and I'm on different board doing this important work, so can you, and to bring the hope and healing to them. So you're born in China, um, and then how do you make your way over to the United States? Tell us about that story. 
Yes. Yeah, so like I said, I have been really, really fortunate. I worked in the British consulate when I was uh, in China. I was uh, friends with all kinds of diplomats, Australian Consul General, British Consul General, and uh, different uh, Malaysian Consul General. And um, so I had really um, interesting career. It was like the time when the Chinese economy was booming and I literally was hopping jobs because I would be speaking at a council briefing and afterwards at the reception, people will be handing me out business cards. And the next thing you know, during the same week, I will be having uh, coffee with them at the lobby of a six star hotel say, hey, you wanna come work for me? So I have traveled around the world and um, lived in the UK for a period of time for Formula One. But honestly, because of the weather, <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of the weather. We used to joke over there, say this week we're going to rain twice. The first time is Monday through Friday, and the second time is Saturday through Sunday. I just wow. never liked the cold weather and the rain. So uh, my first stop to the United States was what everyone advertised, sunny California. So that was my new home in the U.S. Interesting. So you come to California by yourself? By myself, yes. So how did that, tell me about that journey. Well, I started my business and that was really the naive part of my uh, friends call me because, you know, I didn't know anything. Uh, the culture is so different. And that's why I said I, I, I have lived this through. I feel very fortunate. Uh, I think, you know, early on, we uh, before our recording, we've chatted that you have worked with uh, Chinese colleagues. And I have met, been very fortunate to have met people from all over different parts of China. When I first got there, I didn't know how to drive. Uh, so they will take me to places. And uh, I was so ashamed, like, just asking for help because it's a, again a culture thing so sometimes i would just walk then i learned if you don't drive in america you're kind of like stuck without legs sort of like that and um, so i had my own business and i was doing the consulting for many years uh, basically it's not trading but that's the best way to explain that so what i do is sourcing and quality control so except for the part that i pay for the shipment i do the sourcing to help an american company to find their whatever product that they want to buy from china and go accompany them to to watch the factory, the process to make sure that they are ISO qualified and all the, these other things. And then when it comes to shipment to make sure that what they're shipping is the same items that we have passed the inspection with. So that's the short version of what I have been doing for a long time. And because of that, I have worked with a lot of executives and taught them uh, cross-cultural communication business while doing business in China while one, you know, including the language and cultural uh, aspects as well as the business ethics and teaching them say, okay, you know, when you first meet a Chinese person, do not ever give them a clock. And Dennis, if you haven't heard that, I have been given a clock before from my American friend. And I, um, the reason why you don't give a clock to a Chinese person is that, is the same sound as death. So it's like you are wishing them bad luck for death. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, so my friend brought me a really beautiful antique clock from America, and I love antiques. So my girlfriend said, if I were you, I would have just smashed it. I said, well, this is why I'm here for. This is my job. I, I train executives, and they don't know. And if a person don't know, it's not like they did it intentionally. It's not their fault. So you have to educate them. So I educate them, but there is a way. And for those who are listening, if you have given the clock by mistake and uh, the other receiving party is too shy to tell you, the way to save it is to next time when you get the opportunity, get them a good book. Then it completely changed the phenomenal means that you have a good beginning and you have a good ending. So Yes, yes. So there's a way to save it. I always like to solve problems. So I don't just say, okay, here's the problem, but I like to tell people how to solve it. That's cool. So how did you become a victim? Tell me about that. Well, I was uh, like, I'm very good at school. I'm what people call book smart, but not street smart. <laughs> so I just, you know, I have no ideas about relationship. I don't know really like, you know, if a person tells you, say, I love you, I believe that they they mean it. And if a person tells you anything, say, um, okay, I'm going to show up at five o'clock at the restaurant for a day. I will show up even if they stand me up and I'm like, oh, puzzle, like what happened? But now I learned, uh, what is that word? Um, ghosting. I think I don't date, so I don't know the word, but I think it's called ghosting now. Like, you know, if a guy has no show, but I'm just like naive at that point. Like, you know, I really believe what people tell you, but this is all about the power control. So when a person told me, obviously, um, when you look at the power and control wheel and when it, you associate that with domestic violence, human trafficking, sexual assault, it's all about the power and control. So all how it starts is when this person first meets you, they want to make a good impression, right? So they're going to take you out to a nice dinner and then maybe they'll buy you flowers. Or in my case, I love chocolate. So they will buy me chocolate and things like that. Then you were like, oh, this person must be really into me. They're so kind and so sweet. And slowly they're taking over your world because the first thing is they, they, they create this illusion that they love you and they tell you that they love you. And for people like me, I believe that they love you. So I thought that person loves me. And there comes the controlling part. So they need to isolate you from your social circle, from your family, from your friends. So they will tell you, well, you know, for instance, so if I'm going out with this person and my girlfriend, and my girlfriend did actually, my girlfriend said, well, you know, you really need to be careful with this guy. And I'm like, no, are you just jealous of me? Seriously, Dennis, this is what I thought. And looking back today, I said, well, my girlfriend was really smart. But because of that person, I broke up with my girlfriend. I'm like, you know, you're not a good friend. You should be happy for me. It's not like she was single, that she was jealous of me. She was more like, I didn't know, I really just didn't understand at the time. It was for my God, but she warned me and I didn't listen. And one thing led to me another, I had no friends, my own friends. I had cut all of them off because they at some point had told me that I shouldn't be in a relationship. I had another girlfriend told me, oh my God, he looks so evil. 
he's a devil. So my other friend was so religious and was telling me that. And so I cut out all the friend. And years later, this girlfriend came back to me, said, you know, I'm not the kind of person who tell you I told you, but I did tell you. And I know I, I mean, I'm literally like swelling the blood and tears in, in my own mouth and just like, yeah, just it was speechless. I have nothing to say. But that's how they control you. Once they control you, they get you to do whatever. They make you to believe that you are the, uh, they are your own word. They're your only word. They love you. And if if you don't have, you know, for instance, if if anything happened, you leave them, you got no place to go. Nobody cares about you, only them. And this is how they control you. And I was one of those many victims who was trapped in this power and control wheel and took me myself, I'm trying to think three, four times to leave. So you meet this man, this is here in the United States or in China? In the United States. Uh, another Chinese guy uh, or an Asian guy or an American man? American. Okay, so you meet him, your friends are warning you, you get into a relationship with this man, was he uh, a boyfriend or a, or a husband or a fiance or? Uh, where did this where did this road go down? Boyfriend. And then what was what did you find yourself in a domestic violence situation? Tell me about that. So, yeah, I always tell people like before I became a victim and actually before I started volunteering, I didn't understand that domestic abuse has like different shapes and forms. So it's not just domestic violence. So I went, yes, to answer your question, I was a victim of domestic violence, but that wasn't it all. If I hadn't had a concussion from the abuse, if I haven't had the bruise and everything, I would not even know today that I was a domestic abuse victim because there's, like I mentioned, the emotional and psychological abuse. I remember being told, and I've mentioned to you of my uh, success in in my uh, you know business world, of what I have done and feeling very blessed. But this man used to tell me that you're a loser, and I, you know, if uh, like you know today, um, I have done so many uh, different uh, public speaking, and I have learned like you, if you had to teach somebody something, you have to say at least three times to sort of make an impression and let that person understand or believe or even remember that. But I have been told this so many times and eventually I did believe. I thought, yeah, you know what? Maybe I am a loser <laughs> I, it, because he isolated me uh, to, to a point and say, you know what? Uh, maybe you shouldn't do those business. I can support you. Maybe you shouldn't uh, hang out with those friends. So I eventually just like became useless in his opinion. And I even think that I was useless. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the Street Cop Podcast, do us a favor and go with, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Tell a friend. We don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar, Street Cop Training. Give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast, and it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally, and we also entertain you as well. So you endure this for a couple of years. You said, uh, how many? How many? how long was the abuse? How many years? 
Um, that was so long ago. Um, I just want to say I'm celebrating 10 years of freedom. So these memories has almost been erased. Um, I think was about five years. Well, that's a long time. Yes. And at what, like at a certain point you decide it's, it's time to leave. What was that? What was that moment? It, it was when I had a concussion. So I had to choose, you know, uh, life or death. And like I said, I really seriously believed if I have stayed, the murder would have happened and I would have been chopped into pieces and be fed to the alligator. And then I'm like, okay, at that point, where is my family going to find me? Where Where is what happened to this guy now, where is he? In the South, in Texas. Ever any police intervention? Was he ever arrested? Anything like that? Yes. On many occasions or just one significant occasion? Well, I, I guess I will dissect that to uh, to two answers, um, multiple uh, altercations, but as far as police report, only once. Okay, so I guess, were you calling the police or your neighbors calling the police? How How is that happening? I was calling the police. And then at some point you realize, yeah, I have to leave, I have to, I have to move on. And then you found yourself homeless. What'd you do then? We'll have to live in the shelter. And that's when the other victimizations happen. So I said, okay, um, I can go back to China and I could, but I wasn't ready because, you know, at that time, all I knew is I need to prove to the world that I can do it without some other people. I can do it on my own. And I'm definitely not going to show up back home like this. Because when I left home, I was successful and I was on my way up. And now I hit rock bottom. I'm not going to go back now. I will get back up and then go home. So I really don't have a choice. I either sleep on people's couches. And that's when I got sexually assaulted because, you know, guys were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can just stay on my couch. And next thing you know what happened. And so I had to go to the shelter. And that's another thing. So I have never in my life lived in the shelter before, like I was uh, sharing with you and sharing at the Capitol the other day. There are four uh, beds in one room that we share and two bunker beds. Um, and eight of the people share the same bathroom and 16 people share the same kitchen. But I really received like re-victimization, not even secondary trauma, re-victimization at the shelter or because of the shelter. Obviously, you know, there are different victims like myself. But there are also people what we learned over there called uh, shelter hoppers. So they literally live at shelters. They would um, live at one shelter and move to another shelter. And then around the corner, you'll see people dealing with drugs and prostitution, all kinds of things. And these, I was really shocked and traumatized in addition to uh, being, you know, um, physically abused and all of these that's that's so how did that happen how did you become a victim again at these it's just the fact of enduring the fact that you had to live there is that's what the that was the abuse yeah because like i said i i couldn't go back to my relationship so i have to leave and so 
I chose, I could go back to China, but I chose not to because of my own pride. And I wanted to show my family that I can make it again. So I didn't. So that leaves me no option. Do I live in my car? And I attempted to until my friend said, you can kill yourself just sleeping in the car, turning the gas on. Uh, and uh, then that leads to either sleep at people's houses and maybe crashing on the couches or at the shelters. And that's like, those were the only cho choices at the time for me when I chose life than wow. death. Yeah, it's crazy. So what's the comeback story? How did you climb your way out of that? It, it took a long time. I, I talked all of my, uh, what I realized. So I had my real friends who I kind of cut them off because of my relationship. Then because of my relationship, it was like all what I learned from my real friends now, the fair weather friends. Then when I was going through this, I literally was down on my knees crying to God, asking him like, and you know, why the hell an excuse like I, you know, this is happening to me because I, I really thought like my career, I went to school, I had my career all on up on the rise. And I felt like my life, like, uh, you know, in, in China, my grandfather, I used to, my hobby was like, I like to dance. So I want to be a dancer. But my grandfather was like, no, um, I don't want you to be a dancer because funny enough, like he calls like, this is like a clown job. You might never get well. So you need to be a businesswoman, a lawyer, a doctor, you know, accountant, <laughs> all of these careers that they already built this frame for me. It's not my choice. So I was on track of their dream. So they want me to be a successful businesswoman. I did it, but I never in my life, I had imagined myself being at this place. And I honestly had no idea what to do. So I cried out to the new friends when I met. So I said, okay, what do I do? I really don't know. And at that time, it was like literally like an angel was sent to my past. And this old lady, she was there for me during the hardest time. Every Saturday, she will come pick me up. I was so depressed. I was depressed at the point that I go to bed 3 a.m. And I would either cry myself to sleep or call all my friends until they were like, do you know how they did this? I have to work tomorrow. So they just had me up. And then I sleep until the next afternoon, like 3 p.m. And so I know what depression is and everything. And I was trying to figure out like how to get out of it. And I really didn't know. I just know that when I moved, I had to go to uh, the shelter. I realized that I had a calendar. And I didn't even know that some friends who were helping me was uh, sorting out my belongings, that that calendar did not flip um, for six, nine months. That was my depression. And I have not much recollection of what really happened during that time, except for this one lady who was an angel. I just know every Saturday she came, took me out for dinner. Then we go to church. Then afterwards, she will bring me to her group of church friends. So these were my new friends. These were not fair weather friends. These were the friends that were there for me the whole time. And they were the one who gave me the courage. And they were the one who made me understand. Remember that power and control? Because in that power and control wheel, uh, during that time, even when I was facing life or death, I still believed that person loved me. 
So I often argue with them. I said, no, but he loves me. And they were like, Eileen, wake up. You know, he told you he loves you. That's what he said. But what he did to you, does that look like he loves you? It took a long time for me to understand that. So um, at that time, I don't believe it. I don't believe them. I believe him. I don't believe them. So I said, okay, what am I going to do? The only thing I'm good at is school. <laughs> I'm a bookworm. I said, okay, let me prove to myself if I can do it again. So I went back to school. And I remember the day I signed up for school, the lady came to me and I don't even remember her name, but I remember what she said to me. She asked me, you know, because obviously I'm not 20 years old and I'm not a traditional student. She's like, why are you returning to school? I said, because I want to prove to him and prove to the world that I can do this again. And she, on that day, was another fundamental person shaped my life. She said, Eileen, you're not doing that for him. This is for you. And that's the beginning of how I came back. So I put it through and finished my second degree. And I said, okay, I can do that. That's great. And during that time, I did a lot of volunteer work. And I helped people because I felt good. I felt that when I was needing the help, so many people helped me. So if I can just save one life at a time, it's worth it. If I can put the smile on one person's face, it's worth it. And I kept doing that until that second fundamental milestone that I met the judge who told me, okay, it's time now for you to stand up and speak out for your community. And that's when I really speak out and started my journey of helping people. Have you been able to be involved in a relationship since a healthy one? No. Um, I don't know if I should say being able to or having the time to. I uh, having marriage my cause. I um, have to work and do the nonprofit work as a volunteer. So I hardly have much time, personal time for myself. But I must say that um, I I did uh, attempt a few times. It wasn't um, much luck either. Do you think at this point now you're kind of avoiding it and that would be tied back to uh, what you experienced in life? I feel like that because I feel like, okay, I had this major relationship, which in my uh, Chinese or the Asian point of view is like, yeah, you don't need to have a, a good job. You're a woman. But I feel that because of that situation, it has shaped me that, you know, I want to teach people not just from my background, it's very important. Today, I share about the differences from the different cultures, from different races and ethnicities, including Asians, AAPI, African-American, Arabic community, Hispanic, and all of the different uh, cultures and beliefs. But most importantly, to share and utilize the commonalities about how to help those victims, whether it is to build a strong trust and victim relationship to help with the victim identification or provide services for social services. And I feel like everyone has a different um, purpose of their life. 
I feel like this is my purpose now. And that's why I call that I am married to my uh, cause. So wait, what, we missed the whole part about Miss Texas. What was that? Tell me about that. Uh, yes. So as I mentioned earlier, my dream, really my dream when I was little was to be a dancer. My mom used to say, and I don't remember that, she said when I was little and uh, we only have black and white TV in China back then. So she said I was like sitting right staring at the TV screen and then so quiet watching the ballet dancers. And then when they finished, I just like all of a sudden come out with this word saying, mom, I want to break into the TV so I can jump on the stage and dance with those girls. And she still till today laugh at me, say, you know, you were going to break the TV so you can jump in because I thought I could just uh, get into the screen and dance with them. And that had always been my dream. But I had, like I said, because of my grandparents' um, dream, on me, my parents dream on me, I never really was able to fulfill my dream. But this is the great thing about America. It's never too late. If you have a dream, you can always fulfill it. And same as Miss Texas. So when I was working on my cause, I have um, a lot of people that, you know, for my uh, social, like during the volunteer time, when I still had some personal time, I said, okay, what do I do? So I said, okay, let me pick up dancing again. I started dancing and next thing I know, I had people inviting me say, would you like to perform with me? So I started performing uh, about Latin dance and dance to with, uh, being very honored to dance with some of the world champions. So I decided to bring my cause to the beauty industry. And that's the short version of how I became Miss Texas because I had to go. I said, I, it doesn't matter. It's not for me, but I need to bring the message out and I need to bring this message to a whole different community. I'm already embedded in the nonprofit, the social workers, the law enforcement, but how do we educate the community, the citizens at large that are the at-risk victims? How do we do that? And so I started my podcast as well not long before COVID. And today we had about over, um, last year we had about over 100 interviews to interview just the victims, as well as the advocates from human trafficking, domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, uh, strangulation, which was newly added um, by DOJ, I believe. And um, I don't want to quote that because I just heard that in January. Um, but, you know, all the gender-based violence and to be a platform to, as a resource for them to get to understand what are the victims thinking, what are the survivors thinking, what are the resources for our survivors, and how can we work together as a community? And that's when the Miss Texas show was born. Very interesting. Where can people find the podcast and the resources that they need to help the cause? So the podcast is on YouTube. If you look up the Miss Texas show and people say, okay, I cannot find it because it's MS, the Miss, because of age and uh, that they have different age categories. So I'm not Miss M-I-S this. So it's the MS Texas show all spelled out on YouTube. As far as the other resources, Hope Picks Global is partnering with a lot of 
the community organizations to provide multidisciplinary resources, such as, as you know, like victims doesn't always have the resources, especially the financial resources, or some of them might not be fortunate like me who speak the language. So we provide them training to get back on their feet. So we're providing trainings. One is medical certificate that is completely free for victims and survivors. And it's like ultrasound technicians. And these are all Houston-based. So you have to live in Houston because that's um, in-person training. If you don't speak the language or you don't have the, you know, the high school degree and probably reading might be a little bit difficult for like a certificate, like the medical field. We also provide chef training. This is not like for hobby, like you, you just take a pastry class. This is actually a training for people who will be able to get back on their feet to work at a restaurant and start their life again, making the money so that they can support themselves. And a lot of the times, maybe their children with them. So these are the uh, trainings regarding the uh, getting what we call the economic empowerment. In the long run, Hope Picks Global, it's my dream, is going to build one shelter to start with, along with a social enterprise to provide the wraparound service. That means the shelter obviously provides a place to lay your head. And we will connect them to social services for healthcare, et cetera. But most importantly, like victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking, for instance, they might have criminal backgrounds. Looking for a job is not just you have skills. That's a different story that if even if you get the training, are people going to hire you? So we're going to start a social enterprise, and we're looking for partners who can be part of this journey to provide these services, to provide those jobs for our victims. And uh, that will start in Houston, but my dream is to build more shelters and the social enterprises around the country and eventually around the world. And these resources can all be found on hopepyxglobal.org. And lastly, very importantly, so these are the resources for our victims and the survivors. And for the law enforcement, you can go to my website, Eileen Dong, E-I-L-E-E-N-D-O-N-G.com. That will give you the resources about the training platforms, about the different topics. That's awesome. Do we miss anything? Is there any other stuff that you need to put out there for the world to know? Um, I also want to make an announcement that we also started uh, our first and only International Book Awards last year. So this is our second annual International Book Awards. And you must be kind of like um, confused, like what does the Book Awards have to do with your cause and everything? And as I tell people, this is not just an ordinary book awards. We amplify the voices for the voiceless as well as the victims and the survivors of gender-based violence and victims from all crimes. And like I said before, this is like, if I can just save one life at a time, it's all worth it. And last but not least, I want you to tune in because we have an event coming up in October and uh, I'm going to just keep a little bit secret, but just to kind of give you a little bit um, 
in is let you in a little bit is last year in October, in addition to the International Book Awards Gala, we also did the conference on abuse. It was a two-day conference that we had invited speakers from around the country and around the world, actually. That includes like Leslie Morgan Steiner, who is a famous uh, TEDx speaker, um, and she talks about domestic violence. And we had Victoria Valentino, who is a Bill Cosby survivor and the 1963 um, Playboy Mac magazine Centrifold, and so many other activists in this field. And they too, we provided the CEU training. So tune in on our website and social media, same thing, Hope PYX Global, or you can look for Eileen Don official on social media, because I provide the trainings on the personal side and the events on the nonprofit side. This was excellent. Um, it was really nice meeting you. So super cool. I think the cause is great and uh, good luck to you and anything we could do in the future to give you a hand, we'd love to help. Thank you so much. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong and at the maximum going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.